1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and it and also helping organizations to do the same for their employees. It's an extension of the meeting and work research I've been doing over the last like 14 years, and it also complements the work that I do at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, a big thanks to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, they are the leading locally job board in the nation, and they're dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. For this week's conversation, with me is Eric Mahler. He is the founding and managing partner of Fulcrum Consulting, which is a national organization with a focus on providing large companies with consulting services in the areas of strategy formulation, operational improvement, workforce management, and IT professional services. We'll be talking about some of the more prominent workforce trends Eric has observed and how organizations are changing to respond to them in order to stay viable and vibrant. Eric joins us today from Dallas, where it is a beautiful sunny day today. Eric, it's Great to have you with me. Welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Elise, thank you. I appreciate the invitation to take part on your show.
1: Yeah, um, I'm terribly curious about your perspective on today's show. I think what you have to say with your background will be really interesting. So just to get us started, if you would, we're going to talk in this first segment about really human capital and how organizations are managing change and finding and keeping talent. But I think first, it probably makes sense for our listeners to understand a bit about you and your and your organization. So, if you could just introduce yourself and, and say a bit about what your firm actually offers.
2: Great, thank you. So, I'm the founder and managing partner of Fulcrum Consulting. We're a national consulting company that I started in 2002. Uh, our headquarters in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, nationally, we operate out of a number of large cities, and across those cities, we employ hundreds of folks uh, that work on the behalf of very large. Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 organizations for the most part. And our focus as a company is on solving business and technical problems. And since those problems vary in size and complexity, our services have evolved over time around things that are strategic, which makes up our consulting capability. And then the execution part, getting things done for our clients, Revolves around the project side. And then, lastly, and the biggest part of our company is helping large companies to fill talent gaps. And the way we do this, all this work, is we have to attract and develop and retain the best available talent in the markets that we serve.
1: Mm. Very nice. And my listeners who know anything about me at all or have heard a couple of shows know that I'm terribly and hopelessly intrigued with languages. And so, you know, I have to say something about that wonderful Midwestern accent of yours. It's just very prominent. If you didn't tell us you were from Minnesota, you know I was going to say something about it, right?
2: You know, I was—I've been trying to get—I've been trying to get rid of it. So I mean, the fact that you've highlighted it now, I've got something to work on.
1: No, <laughs> I don't you. want you to get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. It makes I'm you teasing. distinct. I'm teasing. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm happy. Can't about. wash it out. Um. Well, and also, I think I had the wonderful opportunity to meet you, I think, probably a year, year and a half or so ago, I think it was, as just uh, in several of the networking occasions out there. And I know a little bit about your background, but for the benefit of our listeners, I think it would be great if you could just say a little bit about what you did in your career prior to founding Fulcrum, because I think some of your perspective about what you know about Workforce Trends was probably informed from that experience as well, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, prior to founding Fulcrum in 2002, my career really uh, comprised of a lot of different roles. I started my career initially working as an analyst and then progressively took on more responsibility as a consultant and a salesperson and senior manager and and coach. And in the role that I have now, all of those skills have come together for me to Uh, manage the organization, but some of the companies i work for, some great companies are some of the, you know, some of the bigger leaders in the financial services industry, companies like Republic Bank and Merrill Lynch. I've worked in the transportation segment for companies, including Southwest Airlines and Northwest, or now it's Delta. And then the Big Four, I've had a lot of experience working with some of the larger Big Four organizations like Ernst & Young and Capgemini and a variety of companies. So, the focus of my career, for the most part, has been building new services and capabilities and people, and I think the success I've had, I've been very fortunate, but it's really been revolving around helping others to grow and accomplish their goals, whether it's clients or my colleagues. Um, I, and I think I've learned over my career that my passion really has revolved around working with people and, and solving problems, and that ultimately led for me to start this organization, uh, where I spend all my time now.
1: Hmm. Wonderful. And I, th- I thought it was important to bring that up, Eric, just because I think I knew something about your background, but for our listeners to have a better understanding of just really where this perspective comes from and the breadth of it, I really thought was important. So um. So next, let's actually get into some of this, this actual topic. I was really interested when you and I were chatting about having you come on the show and what could we actually discuss? And we talked about workforce trends, and I know that there's an awful lot of interest in that. So, One of the things that that you've told me about in our discussions is is how global CEOs and and board chairmen see human capital as their top challenge in really managing their organization's ongoing health and sustainability. So what are they concerned about? What kinds of things specifically do they care about?
2: That's a great question. I think what we found today and we have for a number of years is that leaders in large companies, any organization for that matter, you know, are concerned most with, you know, finding and developing and retaining the right people, and the reason why this is important revolves around a number of trend packs. I mean, for one, the majority of most costs for large organization are people, so that that in itself is a reason why it gets so much attention. But around us, there's a significant amount of disruption occurring that makes this challenge, you know, even more heightened. I mean, if you think about the global economy, there's major shifts occurring and will continue to occur to other parts of the world from a business perspective. So parts, of the, parts of, the, of the globe where headquarters are currently maintained are going to shift over time based upon new and emerging trading flows that exist globally. Technology changes are accelerating, always have accelerated quickly, but today more than ever they accelerate at such a fast pace that companies have to be prepared to shift resources to uh, take advantage of those changes or to respond to them from a sustaini- sustainability perspective. And then the other thing that's emerging, and it's it's much more evident in other parts of the globe, but it, it certainly is coming on, on us here in the States, is that the world is getting older, and much of the workforce is aging. People are working longer. They work differently, uh, which ultimately speaks to capacity, which means you know, the number of folks that are available to do work, and speaks to the amount of output and production and consumption that goes along with a, with a smaller workforce. So even though we have lower unemployment levels here in the States, most organizations still have big skills gap with respect to responding to these kinds of challenges.
1: I just want to go a little bit deeper on the, one of the first things you said there, Eric, because it's been on my radar here with an insignium for a little bit of time. And that is the intersection of talent. So making sure that we keep the, the talent that we want and that they are engaged and feel like they're performing at their best and, and feel challenged and the notion of disruption. I, I find that 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 intersection extremely interesting. Can you say a little bit more about some of the things you've observed between that, those two sides?
2: Yeah, the, the companies that are starting to respond are starting to think about these challenges um, are spending a lot of time kind of re-examining who they are and what they're trying to accomplish as far as core competencies and also how to respond to all the disruptions that are occurring in, in their industry. I mean, if you look at, just take retail, for example, and the, and the impacts that Amazon has had on the traditional Retailer and how that's disrupted the retailing industry. If you look at some of the emerging payment processing and banking organizations that are disintermediating these large banks that uh, operate in a more traditional manner, or how the nature of transportation is going to change, it's a it, big challenge for leaders in, in large organizations is really crystallizing a firm direction. And there isn't any real clear leadership yet across some of these industries. In terms of examples that 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 are, that are very clear in terms of being able to follow, but from a workforce perspective, that speaks to some of the underlying attributes that employees that, that that are needed in terms of attributes to make to be successful. One being just the ability to handle change and the ability to operate with a much higher level of agility or adaptability to that change, responding to things quickly uh, and instantaneously in some cases. Um, you know to be successful the um, the other element that it, that makes it even tougher is that you have you know various resource constituencies within these organizations demographics we talked about you know an aging workforce but you have distinct groups within large companies whether it be millennials or gen x that have different ways of looking at the world and operating just different not good or bad just in terms of their needs and the outlook that they have and the opportunities that they seek. So a large organization really has to define almost a personalized resourcing experience to make sure that they're they're not only attracting, but they're retaining the best talent that they have uh, for not only sustainability, but to respond to growth opportunities.
1: (laughs) I totally get that, and that was there's one word that stands out in that what you just said there, from Eric, and that's the word personalized. So one of the things I wanted you to comment on, which you you certainly are, but if we can go a little bit deeper here, is when I think about strategies or initiatives that organizations can can embrace to be able to to keep though that might that most prized talent, and you say personalized, what does that look like?
2: Well, I mean, it, it starts with an understanding of the kinds of resource skills and capacity or numbers of folks that you're going to need to support, you know, the current operation of an organization and the the ambition or future state of where you're heading. And within that recognize that that changes are going to have to occur And, and they're going to occur in a number of different ways. One being that technology is going to have, you know, an increasing impact on automating roles that are routine And that's going to provide opportunities for people that are impacted by that to retool or or, or get educated with new skills so that they can provide even additional value to the client, to the company in different ways. So it's a matter of understanding what qualities and capabilities exist today in the workforce that you have, an understanding of what, where you're going, and who can help you, how, how to take people from the current state to the future state, recognizing you're going to have gaps, and, and, and then the question is, how do you fill those? And there's certainly a lot of traditional and emerging methods to help large companies to fill resourcing gaps, whether that be more traditional outsourcing, um, uh, you know, access to, to traditional outsourcing mechanisms, or today because of the uh, advent of social media and all the other communication channels that have emerged, the ability to leverage virtual resources in a way. That we haven't, as an organization, have not been able to do. So, but at the individual level, it starts with a matter of aligning the individual passion and needs of an organ of an individual, the best that you can, to the organizational goals and purpose that exist. And it starts with that. And then it's a matter of developing an individual game plan to help people navigate down the path that the company is going. And also understanding that some people. May not fit in that path, and then the opportunity exists to help them navigate out down a different path.
0: So,
1: so keeping in mind that this show is is listened to literally across across the globe. I know we have a fair number of listeners in India, and in Mexico, and China, and 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 Europe, um, France, and Italy especially, and then of course here in the states. And that there's a combination of listeners that are both individual people that are looking to develop themselves as within their careers, as well as corporate people are listening in for for tips and ways to be able to improve their impact on the organization. So I, I listened to you talk about that. And of course, I have a little bit of a vantage point because of my past work in human capital development and recruiting years ago. But how in the world would say a very large organization like, I don't know, a PepsiCo, um, some large organization that has operations throughout the world be able to keep track of all of the passions of their individual employees so that they they would know how to motivate them and how to how to move them to where they want to go next.
2: well it it starts with it starts at the individual level and it starts with um, you know the organization capturing information which takes time and is iterative, and it requires a lot of effort and work to understand what the goals and objectives are. Of the people that work for you, and certainly of those that represent the highest performers for the organization. The other thing that, um, what's going to make that a little bit easier and also present a challenge for a large organization is that large companies have to adapt themselves to some of these changes that are occurring. Um, specifically, leadership has to be much more clear about, the, you know, and provide much more compelling messages to the organization about direction and what is in, and, and how to define success, and how everybody plays a part in that. and that, that's, that's key. So everybody has an understanding of what they're supposed to be doing and how to do it and why. The traditional hierarchical org- organization that exists is going to collapse or flatten, and organizations are already starting down that path so that it, it, it um, enables and, it, and encourages much more of a teaming and collaboration model that gets people to work and brainstorm. It accelerates decision making. And it, and it, in, in that way, you start working and getting to know the people that provide the most value to your organization. It also is going to revolve around, um, technology and skills that, um, so on some level can be replaced over time, but also, uh, the need for Um, people in the organization to be adept with technology tactically, but also the ability to look at the bigger picture from a holistic level and be able to look at the implications of of what they're doing and how that impacts the organization. So there's a a lot of variables, uh, a lot of impacts here
1: i would say so and when i think about just you know the the intelligence that's required to keep track of all that and and as you say keep it iterative and alive and functioning and and also real time right enough real time so that you can you can leverage and and, and move your resources as need be to be able to to meet the changing demands of the organization and where it's going i mean is an awesome task i think
2: well and the onus as is much is, is certainly on HR is an organization within these large organ- within these large companies to take on a, a role that, for many large companies, is different—not just an administrator of employee information and, and, and managing policies and procedures, but um, really starting to build uh, an individual relationship throughout the organization, so that again the goal is, to, is is retention i mean of of people so that uh, you can support the goals of the of the business and that makes it again more difficult in an environment where you have a lot of things that are going to disrupt capacity and and quality of what companies do
1: Great, great thoughts here, Eric. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that that function of maybe what the HR person might do here uh, after the break here, but it is time for our first break already. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Eric Mahler, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Consulting, which is a national organization with a focus on providing large companies with consulting services in the areas of st- strategy formation, operational improvement, workforce management, and IT professional services. We've been talking a bit about how human capital and the the trends around managing change and finding and keeping talent will be the major focus for large corporations across the world. After the break, we're gonna get more into the need to focus on greater productivity with a smaller workforce in a changing potential economy around that. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. If you're just joining us, my guest is Eric Mahler, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Consulting, which is a national organization with a focus on providing large companies with consulting services in the areas of strategy formation, operational improvement, workforce management, and IT professional services. He has over 20 years of multinational experience building and managing high-performance teams and leading large improvement initiatives as an executive manager and consultant. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cordero. In the beginning, segment, we were talking a, a bit about really the, the human capital aspect of some of these trends that are affecting organizations and finding and keeping talent. And just before we broke, Eric, we were talking a bit about how you think that the role of a human resource professional is going to change. And you kind of queued that up. Um, I would be really curious if you could say just a bit more about how you think that role should or could change to accommodate these workforce trends. HR,
2: you know, in response to a lot of these challenges um, is going to have to take on more of a growing advocacy role for employees and by that I mean once an organization has an idea of what kinds of skills and capabilities are needed to, to run the business and to support the business, then it's a matter of identifying on an individual level what gaps exist, how to close those in terms of skills and capabilities. So that, you know, you're, you're, you're retooling where possible, and where you can't, you're identifying with that information what talent you need to acquire in the marketplace to bring in support the goals and objectives of the organization. So that, that's, always, that's been an ongoing challenge in large companies, but one that everyone will have to get better at to affect the goal of maintaining the best human capital that an organization has.
1: Mm-hmm. So less of a protective role as you were saying before and more of a enabling role it sounds like
2: exactly that's a great, great way to look at it
1: okay great okay just wanted to finish that part of the conversation here and before we got into the next part which is really I, I was very interested when we spoke about your your perspective on how you see or how your your research has shown you that we're heading toward a smaller workforce and therefore the need for greater productivity and maybe even having to rethink the economy's potential. And so I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to kind of get a little bit of a handle on just where that comes from. So thinking about aging population across the globe, can you give us a little bit of context here? Like, for example, what was the average lifespan in earlier, say 1900, 1950, 2000? Can you talk first about that, and then maybe we can go a bit into the future?
2: Certainly. Yeah, if I if I focus on the U.S. as a starting point, I mean, the average lifespan in 1900 was probably the mid-30s, and you wow. know over time, as improvements were made to working conditions and, and there was focus on worker safety and health care advances, certainly, and diet, I mean, that led to increased lifespan. I think today... The projection is that the average, or not the projection, the current average is around 83, and I think the projection, if you look out to 2050, is is estimated to be uh, over 90. And this average it varies. I mean, you've got countries in in Europe like Sweden that maybe have a higher average, and uh, you know countries like Africa that have a lower uh, average. And all this means is that people, how this impacts human capital, is that people are working longer. Many because they want to and some because they have to. And with an aging population, you find that consumption patterns are different. I mean, as people get older, a lot of the consumption that occurs on their part is around services. Healthcare is a great example. Um, You also find that the impact to innovation and entrepreneurship is impacted and typically decreases. And then the characteristics of an older workforce usually uh, you, you bring a lot of experience, but they a lot of um, older workers want flexibility, and they also bring added costs in some cases. So there's a lot of variables that play into things, but they're an important part to the overall strategy because there's a lot of people that continue to work beyond the traditional retirement age in many cases.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've had several of them on my show, obviously, right? So I realize that mine might be not – a, a fair representation across the the population because of the specifics of what I focus on in terms of purpose. Um, but I've had people that I've met individually who are into their eighties that are saying, I don't have any intention on quitting working. I'm having too much fun. Why would I quit? Exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, exactly. right. I mean, and then
2: provide a sense of purpose. I mean, beyond uh, what we all look forward to in retirement, but work can be an important and and should be a fun and passionate part of, of that part of, you know, as of getting older. So,
1: yeah. Well, I think it's important, which is a, a big reason that I, of course, host this radio show to be able to provide education, inspiration for people to be able to continue to find that. And I, I still find people that, in fact, just this morning, I had, I had coffee with somebody who said, you know, how do we help people find their purpose more quickly in life? And we had a wonderful conversation about that. But anyway, I digress. Um the, the, the other part of this conversation that I think is really important to talk about, and I'm, of course, fascinated as a, a woman who is American and who has lived in Spain and Brazil and gotten to visit various third third world countries, is you talk about falling fertility rates. Again, I'd love to understand a little more, bit, bit more of the historical context around that. You know, I, I can tell you I remember distinctly when I lived in Brazil, Eric, in the early 1990s that... It wasn't uncommon for women back then, um, just before, maybe a generation before, to have like sixteen children back then. Um, mm-hmm. But a little context for us: what, what, what was maybe happening in the early nineteen hundreds, and where are we today with fertility?
2: Well, if if I look at current rates, and if I look across the globe, uh, what what what, what you find as a pattern is that fertility rates overall are declining across the globe. You find countries like. China and Russia, parts of Europe that aren't covering the replacement rate for people leaving the workforce. In the United States, things aren't as bad, but the long-term trend um, is clear in terms of we're we're having the same challenge, and it will only continue to be a greater challenge in that. I think the current replacement factor, we're we're, we're running about 1.9 or 2.0 versus the 2.1 individuals that we need to... Uh, maintain uh, the same amount of workers over time. Um, so the net, the net out of that is that fewer people are entering the workforce at a rate to replace skills lost. So that puts added pressure on the economy and large companies in terms of what they're able to produce and accomplish over time.
1: You know, I am one of those failures, Eric. Let me just go ahead and confess: I have one child. <laughs> <laughs> just one there you go so I didn't contribute go. yeah I'm part of the problem aren't I <laughs> yeah she's precious but uh that was that was where that was all that was in the cards apparently so um I'll take what I what I got um but you know if you could say a bit more about this one of the things that I find interesting about having these kinds of conversations which really by their very nature are are conceptual and strategic is really helping people connect the dots and you already said before that you know, the falling fertility rate certainly gets to a smaller workforce. We can't really replace everyone that we need. But can you say a little bit more about how these two trends together, the aging population and the falling fertility rates, affect the workplace where we, and where we're going?
2: Yes, the the combination of, of these two impacts are going to make it more competitive and more challenges for organizations to find and keep great talent because there's just less of it out there in the market. I think other other impacts that play in to the things we're talking about include labor participation as another component of the overall challenge in that. In this country, in the United States, we're operating at a historical low when it comes to people in the workforce that could work but for various reasons may not be. And, you know, they, some of it is tied to the fact that, you know, younger – you know, not younger necessarily, but more people are waiting – to enter the workforce and are, you know, getting more education and in response to the fact that more skills are going to be needed uh, for the future. That's a positive. Um, you know, the speed at which, you know, women have entered the marketplace in this country have slowed. Certainly, so that had a significant impact over the last 20, 25, but in terms of the, in terms of that impact, that's maturing in terms of the numbers that are entering the workforce and contributing on that level. And of course. It's skewed by the older worker members that we were talking about, as, you know, as well. So the, imp- the implications of these things and others is that it just makes the, the challenge to find great people and, and keep them active and, and help companies to grow much harder.
1: You know, as I listen to you say this, Eric, I think today, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to paint a picture for you. I think that most people who are, lis- who are listening to the show right now can probably identify with this this thing of this, uh, this image of, you know, you're on your bicycle and you're pedaling as hard and fast as you possibly can for longer than you ever thought you were, were ever going to in a day of work. And you're still not even close to getting close to the finish line. And so, you know, you just can't do it all. And, and so what I find really fascinating is that you talk about, um, you know, what are organizations going to need to do to be able to handle this, this need for this ongoing productivity, which is going to require different skills, as you say, with less people. So, gosh, you know, in thinking about how do organizations respond to that, what kind of thoughts do you have?
2: There's a number of things. I mean, if, if we start with things like immigration, uh, immigration policy, and I, rec- I recognize that right now immigration in general is under a big political spotlight, but historically they have, and they, and they should, and they could fuel much more horsepower and, uh, you know, incremental participation in the workforce. I mean, there's more policy related changes that have to occur there, but even if they do and when they do, as the global economy strengthens in other parts of the world, um, Immigration impact will be lessened by the mere fact that other countries are going to be just in, they're going to have the same level of challenge and need for great talent that makes it a a global uh, war on some level for for great talent. so that's 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 one I think the other thing companies are going to have to do to respond is they 're going to have to give even more attention to the performers of the, of an organization to retain and keep them understanding that compensation is not the only component to retention. And frankly, it's typically not the first criteria for retention. It, 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 engaging people is, is key. So creating a, a work environment and a work life and concentrating on recognition and progression and autonomy for your employees um, are very important, certainly for those that contribute the most to, to, to a larger organization. We're going to have to leverage technology more fully in the business to replace jobs that aren't either necessary or can be replaced, and then retooling talent. Uh, along the way, where they can, so ultimately, where this leads is that it, on some level it's going to have to it's a, it's a reset, an expectation resetting as it relates to uh, growth and production levels and and that they're going to be much different than maybe they have been historically, given some of these given these impacts.
1: Uh, Fascinating. Um, One of the things that also comes to my mind, and this is probably in part just from the work that I've done over the last several years, and because I do certainly also work in an educational role um, and have been for quite some time, how do you think organizations are going to need to respond with regard to being able to providing training for for people? And if if they're going to need to acquire new skills, uh, I can envision there's probably a pretty big gap between what an an employee might know today and what they need to know in the future to really provide the value that's necessary. So do you have any thoughts around how you envision or what you've learned about how organizations are going to need to support their workforce from a a training and development vantage point?
2: Well, you know, to be successful, they're going to have to leverage, you know, traditional and non-traditional and emerging ways to help people to grow. And that goes beyond classroom training. It goes to mentoring and shadowing and working with individuals. It goes to leveraging virtual networks of people um, that don't even necessarily exist in in the same company or in the same building or even the same geography to learn. Um, It's going to require the individual themselves to push themselves in a way that's uncomfortable to learn, put themselves in in situations where they can meet and network and learn. And there's a self-development Expectation, I think, that it will fall to everybody beyond the organization's responsibilities to help, to want to learn and, and to seek out new knowledge and meet new people and ask questions and, and learn new things along the way. So it, it falls on both an organization and I think the individual equally. And it'll, it'll become more prominent over time as well.
1: Mm. You know, when you talked about that, I just got this vision, Eric, just of this incredible electricity of, you know, the interaction between all those different components and entities to really keep that bus moving down the road in the, at the pace it needs to, 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 to well, to keep up, frankly. Um, it will take all of them.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, We've got a couple minutes before the break here. I, I wonder if you can comment a bit about this notion of how you think organizations might need to rethink the economy's potential given all of these these issues, these situations, these phenomenon.
2: Yes. So, given the dynamics that we've been talking about—smaller workforce, an older workforce, workforce participation that is different—this uh, leads them to just consumption, and I think consumption patterns will just, they will be different, and we highlighted some of these things earlier in terms of how services will be prominent for some portion of the, you know, in terms of consumption. Um, It'll be less because the workforce is smaller. Um, You know, this provides opportunities and, and also challenges as it relates to continuous industry disruption because of emerging technologies that can also provide gains for companies, but I can see where clients' rationale for even acquiring or merging other organizations is on the basis of talent as a primary criterion driver, as opposed to just the financial synergies that come out of, you know, acquiring or merging with a large company. So I think, you know, we've we've got some examples. If if we look at the Japan economy, there's some certainly some parallels in terms of their experience. There's distinct differences too, but. Um, We've seen for a very long period of time and continue that there was a reset on what was normal when it came to gross uh, domestic produ- uh, production. So GDP in the states, I think what we've experienced two to three uh, percent over the last year, couple of years. I think that could become the new norm. Uh, in that, in that, something we just have to kind of to and adjust to. This is this is my view, but I, I I think it's just a matter of setting expectations properly on, you know, how fast a company will grow in some cases.
1: Mm. Beautiful, Eric, and just really fascinating. It's wonderful to have you on the show. I just really appreciate your perspective. Um, Let's go ahead and take a short break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Eric Mahler, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Consulting, which is a national organization with a focus on providing large companies with consulting services in the areas of strategy formulation, operational improvement, workforce management, and IT professional services. We've been talking a good bit about how there is a trend toward a smaller workforce and the need for greater productivity and retooling. After the break, we're going to talk about digitization and automation. Stay with us
0: us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working On Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at elisecortez.com. Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Eric Mahler, who is the founder and CEO of Fulcrum Consulting, which is a national organization with a focus on providing large companies with consulting services in the areas of strategy formulation, operational improvement, workforce management, and IT professional services. He has over 20 years of multinational experience building and managing high-performance teams and leading large improvement initiatives as an executive manager and consultant. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. As before the break, we were talking a bit about the trend toward a smaller workforce and the need for greater productivity and, and more more retooling and maybe even an adjustment in, in how we think about the economy's potential. For this last segment, I really want to focus on this notion of ongoing digitization of the workforce and certainly automation and how – these changes might affect organizational structures, influence control, things like that. And I know a lot of people. There's a lot of buzz around digitization and automation, and some people are probably a little bit afraid of that. So, I guess the first place to start, Eric, is what do you, what do you think we mean by the term of ongoing digitization of the workforce?
2: Well, it's first of all, it's a great buzzword. I mean, we're all this industry, and a lot of industries are really good with buzzwords. I, I the way I would define it is how companies make, how they take advantage or how they leverage all of the wonderful and emerging technologies that, that, we're, that we have to deal with, work with, and, and, and uh, make up our day. Those include all the mobile devices that are out there, all of the new channels of communication and the communities that have emerged as a result of it, social media being a great uh, headline example. Artificial intelligence, which all that means to me is that um, computers are able to deal with a tremendous amount of information and do things quicker, and and uh, that humans can't do as quick. So artificial intelligence is another one that's getting more and more focused and, 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 and utilized even more in big companies. Uh, another buzzword is Internet of Things, IoT, which is all that means is there's lots of devices and sensors and scanners that um, impact our life. They do in our home, in our office, in cities, and they're collecting information about who we are, what we do, and how we do it. So that will continue. So the reason why, and, and all these things provide opportunities for companies to grow, growth, to reduce costs, become more efficient, to increase, increase safety in some cases. And the, and the reason why I need it, and important to a large organization is that customers uh, want products and services faster and they want a seamless customer experience as part of that process. So those drivers now are companies to think about how do I utilize all these things, all these new things, to become more efficient and respond to my customer needs.
1: Mm. I do... um I, that that actually helps me get a clearer picture of, of this. And uh, certainly that phrase, the internet of things is is, is fascinating to me as well. Um, I, w- I do want to say a little bit more, or I would do want to talk a little bit more about this notion of artificial intelligence, Eric. I know for a lot of people, that term is really, really scary because it sounds like big brother and gosh, is there anything that I can't do, that, that I could do that people won't actually figure out and find out? Am I being watched all the time? I think that there is an element of Uh, maybe a lack of privacy that people think about or they just wonder just how far does it go. Um, So it would be great if you could say a little bit more about how artificial intelligence is actually impacting automation in the workplace. Something along those lines to help us better understand where is the bus actually going.
2: Yeah, I'll certainly offer a perspective. I mean, it has gotten, uh, you know, a bad rap in many cases Mm -hmm. or has this nefarious type of uh, implication to it. But I think you know when I artificial intelligence, you know, in, in, at, at the root, refers to computer programs that people have dev- developed to perform complex tasks that have historically been done by humans. And you know, it, in in most cases, this includes things that are helpful and beneficial, like around speech speech recognition and help with decision making to you know visual perception. You know, when when you and I go out to the web and do a web search, there's some element of machine learning that occurs in terms of the results that we get based upon the history and the usage that, um, you know, we perform. You know, Amazon uses it to recommend products. Netflix uses it to recommend movies. Facebook and Twitter use it to choose which post to show. So pretty much everything that happens online involves some form of machine learning. I guess that would be the headline for AI is machine learning. So. It's also very good from a technology perspective in classifying things and finding order. And it's good with abstraction and, you know, going through thousands of images and sounds and text and all that good stuff to uh, to classify. So um, there's just a lot of power in it. It certainly can be used for things that make people uncomfortable and, you know, for others it, it, it has a lot of benefits in terms of automating things that are very routine for for people.
1: I like how you use that word classify, Eric. I think that really does help our listeners and certainly me get a better handle on just really some of the aid there. And I I certainly can say that Amazon, I'm a very, very, very consistent customer. And that artificial intelligence is responsible for um, greater charges to my credit card bill because I almost always get an extra book because they recommend it. I'm like, yeah, that does sound good. I, I do like that. So, I I, I see how that that works, and of course, I'm familiar with that, and I bet our listeners are nodding their heads vigorously as we say this, but um, I would be interested in having you share a little bit about the kinds of things that you see being automated in terms of work today, and what you think is going to be automated in the future.
2: Sure. Well, let's start with maybe what makes a job hard to automate. thing that technology will always be challenged with is if an underlying responsibility or job involves some element of root if, if it let me start with things that are that are easier to automate if there's routine mental work um, in, in involved in something those tasks that involve you know something routine will be you know more easily automated so if you think about Jobs today. Um, you think about cashiers or, or tellers. Um, you'll find over time that people that are in those roles today won't be as needed as technology looks to automate opportunities in those things. And those things aren't going to happen overnight. But um, they include roles like you know telemarketing. Um, they could include implications and impacts to the legal industry where there's a tremendous amount of information that gets compiled that can be done much faster and easier and quicker on the part of of technology. Uh, Really, I don't see many fields that aren't going to be impacted. I think it's almost limitless, but it's more of the ability on our part to, to exploit them and get the business benefit and value from them. But with that, there's certainly a lot of opportunities out there to not even be concerned because it creates opportunities for all kinds of wonderful, cool, and um, interesting types of roles as well. So,
1: um, you remind me just very, very quickly when you talk about automating certain things. Um, I won't say which store I was in over the weekend, but bought uh, several individual pieces of clothing, and the 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 poor checker just was just a, a slower than molasses, if I can just say. At which point I said to my daughter, I said, would you please help her out? She goes, no, no, it's okay. I got it. And I said, yeah, I know. Um, it's just that I think if we all help you, it'll go a little bit faster. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it was just, it was one of those things where I wondered, it, this is a great opportunity for automation right here and <laughs> self-checkout. Um, so that just shows you how impatient I can be. But um, I would be really curious to talk next here about that notion of um thinking about the kinds of skills that are harder to automate. Because one of the things that I've had people talk with me about over time is I've chosen a certain career because I think it has less of a chance to fall into automation. Can you speak to some of the kinds of things, some of the kinds of skills that maybe are harder to automate?
2: Yeah, sure. I think if, if you just look at jobs that involve interacting with the physical world, I mean, if, you know, using your hands uh, and feet, I mean, those kinds of things are hard to automate jobs that require, a lot of common sense are also very hard to automate. I mean, common sense is something we all take for granted, but it's extremely difficult mm. for machines and AI to, to acquire. So, if what you do or want to do requires a lot of common sense, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot safer than if it doesn't. I think the um, you know specific roles that are, are going to present opportunity in uh, obvious roles, given that technology is so important and continues to be, will be in the areas of in fields of engineering and continue to be in technology, uh, good managers and leaders are going to be very key uh, because of the, the, the ability to influence change and communicate and collaborate and work across boundaries to accomplish things and focus on problems and, and people are qual- and skills that are going to be in high demand in large organizations. Analysts are going to be critical, and not, not on the data collection side so much because computers are really good at collecting data and but but the interpretation and decision making that goes around is something that's going to be key clearly given the trends in aging health care human care are also going to um play in you know or are, are not are not going to go anywhere and the shape of the roles may change but they're going to be in, in great demand um well there's just my highlights
1: Okay. Um, that, that's very helpful, Eric. Um, I, I think for a lot of people that, who are concerned and trying to figure out what should I do next, what, you know, where should I go? And certainly my students that I work with ask me those kind of questions, and I oftentimes don't have the answers. And so hopefully this is a place where I can refer them because I think it's, it's, it's important to consider where, where is the economy going? Where is the workforce going in order to make informed decisions about what to study and how to prepare yourself for a career? So that, that was helpful, very helpful.
2: I think you know any opportunity to gain education is is key. I, you know, education. I've heard the f- f- phrase used as the new currency. I, th- that th- that's a key headline for people is the opportunity to look for ways to learn and, and accumulate new knowledge. And whatever my my thoughts and predictions around some of these roles could change. I mean, that that's the nature of all of the disruption and change that's occurring. Is that what we know today will not. Be the same six months, a year, three years, five years from now. So new opportunities will emerge and present themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've seen, I was on somebody's website the other day and I was so impressed uh, where they had made a, a comment saying, uh, Note that w- you might find that some of the posts that I've written sometime before I can no longer stand behind because I've learned something since then. Don't hold it against me.
2: <laughs> yeah, and right,
1: I, exactly. I, I thought that was beautiful, right? Just beautiful. Um and speaks to what you were just saying there. Just check back in a month, and maybe things will have changed in in our mindsets. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. we're, we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of time here. If you have anything else you want to say about how the coming digitization of the workforce and its associated automation will require changes in organizations. Anything else you want to say about that in maybe a minute or less?
2: Yeah, I'll do my best. I The headlines I'd offer around... The implications of all of this is that individuals and companies are going to have to be much more adaptable. That's going to be key in terms of success. Uh, Leadership is going to have to strengthen, and organizations are going to have to rethink how they're structured and operate more horizontally to increase decision-making and collaboration. People are going to have to be retooled. Technology is going to have to be leveraged. Most importantly, we have to strengthen the engagement with our employees, and really focus on the keys for what people are looking for, which has to do with autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And those are key. I mean, if you can headline what your, in terms of connection of people and passion, those are the kinds of things that a company needs to try to identify and maintain.
1: Wonderful and very crisp way to finish, Eric. Um, I really have enjoyed listening to you, talking with you, learning from you. Thank you so much for being on the Working on Purpose show.
2: At least, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: If you want to learn more about Eric Mahler and Fulcrum Consulting, do visit their website. It's fulcrumconsult.com. So, F U L C R U M C O N S U L T.com. Fulcrumconsult.com. fulcrumconsult.com. Um, we've enjoyed a very gifted and talented professional with us here with tremendous insights about workforce trends. I learned a lot. And curiously, what I think is interesting about what you've done for us when you talked about kind of where we're going in the future, Eric, is you talked about the importance of good communication, and that's going to be the focus of next week's show, as it turns out. And we'll be on the air with Brian Williams, who is the founder of an organization called Perspectivity, and he's going to talk with us about the importance of creating impactful and compelling presentations and, com- and communicating on a whole different level to get the results that you need at work. So join us next week, and remember that work is one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working On Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.